All right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Hey, welcome to the house. Let's go, man. It's good to be here today. Thanks so much for hanging out here in Florence. It's good to see all of your faces. Can we show some love for our Lawrenceburg Faith Church family? Man, it's good to have you guys in the house. Got some ice and snow on the ground, and they're still in the building. Come on. If you don't come to church when it snows, you don't love Jesus. Come on. Woo, we got people up there loving Jesus. Good to have you guys, not just those who are in our buildings and facilities. want to say hey to everybody who's watching online. If you're a Faith Church family and just not able or comfortable to be back in the building yet, or maybe you're joining us for the first time, we want to say welcome. We're so glad that you decided to hang out with us today. We said every week, come on, that we believe that Jesus, come on, he is the hope of the world. Wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever you're going through, Whatever your struggle, your issue, your habit, your heartache, your hurt, or your opportunity, if you'll allow Jesus to meet you where you are, come on, it'll be the greatest decision that you've ever made. How many people come on believe that today? Come on, can we make some noise for the goodness of God? Well, listen, my name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor here at Faith Church. Again, I just want to say welcome. It's good to have you guys here. We are in week two of a series we started last week entitled Vogue. And we got the title Vogue because February is fashion month. That's right, all over the world, right? We already know this, that culture is constantly telling us what to wear, what not to wear, what's in style, what's out of style. And that's what Vogue means. Vogue basically means like, hey, what is, what's the prevailing culture say about what's in and what's out? And so not just culture, but did you know Christ? Did you know God has a lot to say about what we wear? And so we thought we would not just lean into culture because God's not really interested in whether you wear blazers or slacks or jackets or coats or sweaters or skirts. It's not really about what's wearing us on the outside. It's not about really the clothes we wear. But God has a lot to say with how we dress, how we cover ourselves. In fact, the conversation that we're having throughout this series, we're trying to answer this question right here is, what is vogue for Christ followers? Once you give your life to Jesus, once you become a person of faith, once you decide to follow Jesus, what is it that God calls us to cover ourselves in? How are we to dress? And so last week, we kind of opened up with this series, talking all the way back in the book of Genesis, that in the beginning, right, God had, had, was created perfect, without sin, without struggle, was in a perfect relationship with God. However, ultimately, we know the story that our four parents fell. They broke God's law. They disobeyed their creator. And because of that, sin came into creation. And come on, every time we sin, it always brings shame. And the natural response when we sin, when we feel that shame, is we try to cover it up, right? The human condition is we try to cover what's broken, right? Nobody in this room goes public with our shame. Like, we don't go on the street corner talking about our struggles. It's natural to try to hide shame and condemnation. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve did. Right? Genesis tells us when Adam and Eve disobeyed God when they fell, the first thing they did was they felt shame and condemnation, and they went and tried to cover themselves with leaves. That's right. Adam was the first tailor in the Bible. He was the first God to create and design the first wardrobe. But God showed up on the scene and said, hey, that's not good enough, because here's what we know, is none of us, we are not capable of covering our own shame. We can try to cover it up, right? We still try to cover shame. When you're a little kid, you don't announce to your parents when they come home that you broke something, right? We try to cover it up. As adults, when we do wrong, when we fall short, when we miss the mark, we cover it up. And so God shows up and basically clothes Adam and Eve because only God is able to cover our sin appropriately. We try. In fact, here's what we talked about last week. A lot of us, we try to clothe our sin and our shame and our guilt. However, what we try to clothe ourselves, right, our garb, is ripped with rebellion, 
and stained with sin. We can't cover appropriately our own shame. But how many people here are thankful that there is a good God who sent his son on a rescue mission to die on the cross for our sin and rise again so we could find grace and forgiveness? And so last week, the announcement was made by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 13. That this is what we walked away with, that we're to clothe ourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ. That when you make a decision as a person, understanding your faults and your mistakes, your shortcomings and your sin, and recognizing there's nothing we can do to clothe ourselves, but when we put our faith in Jesus, when we put on Christ, that's where we find forgiveness. That's where we find righteousness and a new beginning. And so last week, the takeaway was this, that acceptance is dependent on apparel, that our acceptance with God is dependent on really what we're wearing, that you can't wear your own good deeds and your own righteousness. We can only find acceptance with our Heavenly Father when we put on Jesus. And so today, we're going to go into week two, and we're going to dig in a little bit further, but Several, uh, several months ago, or several years ago, I got the opportunity to go to a sports outing. We had sports fans here in the house in Florence. Come on, in Lawrenceburg, come on, wave your hand or make some noise if you love you some sports. Let me, let me rattle a couple off. It's your favorite football. Got any football people in the house? Of course, Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, Ohio State. They're always going to make the list. Not just football. Do we have any basketball fans? Come on, in the house. In the house, basketball fans. What about volleyball fans? I know some of got some got some ladies in the house. What about, uh, what else do we got? Soccer? It's a thing. Here's the one that has been America's pastime. They're losing a little bit of traction. But how many baseball fans do we have in the house? Come on, make some noise. So here's what I know is there are some, some sports I enjoy, some not so much. But every sport is better when you get to watch it in person, right? I mean, there's just something about being in the atmosphere of the game, being there, watching it live. Like, I'm not really a hockey fan, but I'll go to a hockey game. And I'm not really a baseball fan as far as watching it on TV. But to go to a game, come on, take me out to the ball game. Let's go. I had the privilege several years ago to go to a game. I was at an outing with some pastor friends of mine. And uh, we were in these meetings, and so one of the nights out, one of the pastors who lived in the city of Detroit where the meetings were at was able to secure us some tickets to a MLB, Major League Baseball game, playoff game between the New York Yankees and the Detroit Tigers. And there's just nothing like it, man. I was fired up to go. However, at that time for that game, I showed up dressed in New York Yankee gear. And because at that time, NYY was in vogue. Everybody was wearing Yankee gear. And so I didn't really have it on because I was a fan. I had it on because I looked good and I looked good in it. Let's go. <laughs> and I showed up at this game. And I'm just telling you, everybody at the home game was dressed in Detroit gear. I was the only person in New York Yankee gear. And I'm just here to tell you, they don't play in Detroit. And so as soon as I got there, like, all eyes were on me. People, I'm sure people were booing me. And as the game went on, people continued to consume more and more adult beverages, which made their hostility only go higher. And by the end of the game, the worst part of the entire game was that the Yankees won. And I'm just telling you, when that game was over, like, I'm not scared of anybody. I didn't run to the car, but, like, I did, like, power walk. You know what I'm saying? Like, we got to go because I'm not going to make it home. Here's my point is, right, the same way I was wearing Yankee gear at the home stadium of the Detroit Tigers, I was not dressed appropriately for the environment and atmosphere. I think there are a lot of Christians, a lot of us in this room or in Lawrenceburg or watching online, that you are not dressed appropriately for the season that you're in in life. 
And when God's word leans in and challenges us how to dress, how to clothe ourselves, ultimately what I want you to know today is that your victory is found in vogue. That you can win if you'll decide to wear the right thing. That God calls us to clothe ourselves in so many ways that we're going to lean in today. And so if you're in a battle, you're in a struggle, you're in your spiritual journey, and you got some hitches, some hang-ups, some struggles, I'm telling you today that Paul, the Apostle Paul, gives us the insight of how to find victory. Victory is in vogue. In fact, check this out. In, in the New Testament, if you're new to spiritual things, if you're new to the Bible, the Bible is not a book. It's actually 66 books. It's the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is written about the nation of Israel, God's people. The New Testament is written to the church that's uh, Jews, Gentiles, and everyone in between, everybody who's put their faith in Jesus. And when you get to the New Testament, those, thir- those um, 27 books are really about, um, about uh, two things, one history and two letters. History, the first five books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels are biographical sketches of the life of Jesus, who he is, what he taught, how he lived. The fifth book of, of the Bible, the book of Acts, is a history book telling the first several decades after the resurrection of Jesus and how the gospel message spread and the church ultimately was born. However, when you get to the backside of the book of the New Testament, the majority of the New Testament is something called epistles. Everybody say epistles. Epistles is basically just a word. It just means letters. They're letters that individuals penned or wrote to specific churches in regions or cities. And so most of the books are titled after the region or group of people that the book is written to. For example, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is written to a group of Christians in the city of Corinth. The book of Romans is written to the Christians in the province of Rome. And so these epistles in the New Testament are letters written by kind of these important people, people generally who hung out with Jesus, knew Jesus, people like Peter, people like John. But the majority of the New Testament is written by this guy by the name of Paul. And Paul, he writes the majority of the New Testament in these epistles. And what you find as you read the epistles is they address a couple issues. Primarily, they're just continuing to promote who Jesus is and what he did for us. But some of the epistles will lean into specific problems only found in specific cities. And so as you read the epistles, like we're constantly reminded of who God is and who we are, of what Jesus did and how it applies to our life. And then, if, then it kind of gets into some issues that all of us wrestle with. And as you move through the New Testament, you'll find that the Apostle Paul continues to use the same vogue language. He continually reminds people how to live out their faith by using this illustration of how we clothe ourselves. Come on, victory is in vogue. You win based on what you wear. Let me give you a couple of them. Romans 13, 12. Come on, first two words. Everybody in the house, Lawrenceburg, shout this. Come on, first two words. One, two, three. Put on the shining armor of right living. Galatians 3, 27. He says, and all who've been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Ephesians 4, 24. Paul says, put on your new nature Created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Come on, everybody shout, put on. He says, are you dressed for success? Are you putting on your faith? Are you walking out this new lifestyle? Colossians 3.12. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, 
kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Again, so Paul is talking about what is vogue for a Christ follower? What is the in style things that we should suit up with? How do we live out our faith? And as we get into the section of scripture we're going to look at today in Ephesians chapter 6, he, he compares what we're supposed to wear to armor. Not something probably a lot of us are familiar with. So where did he get this illustration? Well, you have to understand that the Apostle Paul is under arrest by the Roman Empire. He has, he has created such a stir by declaring in cities who Jesus is that not everybody loves him. Come on, how many people know that you can talk about Jesus and not everybody's going to love you for talking about Jesus? And so the Apostle Paul gets arrested by the Roman Empire for causing all of these messes, all of these stirs. And at this point in his life, he's literally chained to a Roman soldier. And what's so crazy is he gets inspiration from his situation. Come on, is anybody thankful that you can be, like, we love to live on the mountaintop. We love when everything's good. But how many people know that you can find out really how good God is, how good God's grace is in the struggles of life? Like, even in the valley, in the dark times, God will show up. You won't understand that you're God's provider unless you go through a time of lack. You won't even really see that God is your strength unless you go through weakness. How many people are thankful that, man, we can get some inspiration in our situation even when it's not good? Come on. And so he's tied to this Roman soldier. He's writing to the church in the city of Ephesus, and he gets this illustration. He gets this revelation because he understands Roman soldiers, they get in fights. In the same way Roman soldiers get in fights, you and I are in a fight. And you're not going to win your fight unless you fight your battle. And so he tells us the way to win the fight is to put on the armor of God. Come on, on the count of three, everybody shout, put on. One, two, three. Put on the armor of God. Of God. And here's what he says, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. He says the final word. He's getting to the end of his letter, six chapters. He's about to close it down. P.S., postscript, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Whew, come on, somebody. Come on, is anybody thankful that you're not fighting this fight alone? Listen, I, I, sometimes, man, the weight of this world is heavy. Sometimes I feel overcome and overwhelmed. But just like you, just like me, what Paul is saying, hey, don't forget, you're not fighting alone. Come on, I got some homeboys in my corner. I got the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost fighting for me, fighting through me, fighting my back. Come on, is anybody thankful that God's going before us and God's our rear guard? Come on, he's holding it down. That's what he said. Don't forget, in your fight, you are not fighting alone. Somebody is on your side. He says, hey, so don't forget that. And then he says this. He says, so put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. What Paul is doing is he is chained to this Roman centurion. He's again engaging in like his mind is saying, hey, the same way he fights, we fight. And what you're fighting, he says, if you're going to win this fight, first of all, you got to put it on. Which means that putting on what he's talking about is intentional and not accidental. Come on. Nobody in this room, you didn't wake up. You didn't wake up dressed unless you had a, unless you had a rough Saturday night. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Everybody in this room, you got up and you put on what you put on intentionally for better or for worse. Come on, I people took some time to put on something good. Some of you, some husbands tried to get out the door. Aren't you thankful for wives that said, oh, you ain't going out looking like that? 
Come on, we put it on intentionally. And that's the first thing the Apostle Paul is talking about, is living the lifestyle and walking our faith out isn't by accident. It's intentional. If you're going to do this thing, you got to put it on. Clothe yourselves in Christ and put on the full armor of God. And he goes on, he says this. He says, here's why you need to dress for success. He, he says, because the fights you're having, the stress you're experiencing, the challenges you're going through, I know you want to blame your spouse. I know you want to blame it on your kids. I know we want to blame. See, right now, everybody understand this, that, that we live in a society and a culture with a lot of tension, a lot of, a lot of challenges, a lot of wrestling we're going through. We have challenges between colors. We have challenges between politics. We have challenges in marriages. We have challenges with kids. We have financial challenges. We have habitual challenges. Come on, does everybody know what I'm talking about? And this world says your problem is with the person who lives across the street. Your problem is with the person on the other side of town. Your problem is with the person at the White House. Your problem is with your kids. The problem is with you. And what Paul is saying, he's giving us a brand new paradigm to understand a worldview, that your fight, while there are sometimes issues in those areas, our real fight is with a spiritual enemy. Come on, somebody, that we have a real enemy, and what Satan wants to do is he wants to distract you from the real struggle, because what you don't fight, you can't win. And as long as you're fighting your wife and fighting your husband and fighting your kids and fighting politics and fighting your habits and fighting your DNA, you'll never engage the real battle because he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The real fight is spiritual. And if you want to win it, you got to suit up for success. And so he starts laying it down. He starts giving us this idea of specifically what he means. And as we lean into this, again, I want you to hear this. So, so as we fight this, what is he talking about? He says, ultimately, and you're going to see, he says this three times, that if we'll fight this fight well, if we'll clothe ourselves intentionally, that we can stand our ground. We can stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm. Says it three times. Stand firm. Well, what are we standing in as Christ followers? What are we supposed to clothe ourselves with? What he's talking about is truth. The truth of who God is and the truth of who you are. The truth of who God is and the truth of who you are. And what are we standing against? We're standing in truth. We're standing against error. Ultimately, he says it this, so we can stand firm against all the strategies of the enemy. Come on. Did you know he's got strategies and schemes and device? He's got blueprints of how to take you out. He knows your buttons. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your shortfalls. And he uses the same four strategies every single time, every single situation, and every single person. If you're writing notes, you need to write this down. Here's how Satan fights. Here's the strategies. You ready? Satan fights with lies, deception, slander, and temptation. Lies. Deception, slander, and temptation. Satan works through whispers. He doesn't come out loud and proud. In fact, the enemy works in a very similar way the Holy Spirit works in our life. The Holy Spirit also works through whispers. That still small voice that leads our life, that reminds us of who he is and who we are, the enemy works the same way. Come on, the enemy can't touch you. He can't physically come into your house and fight you. The way he works is through whispers to try to plant thoughts in your mind, to try to inspire you in an opposite direction the way God's leading you. And the way he works is through lies. And these all sound the same, but I want you to know, what lies is, lies is that idea of trying to get you to believe something that's opposite of the truth. Deception is when he tries to get you to doubt the truth, tries to hide the truth from you. Something you already knew, but he tries to convince you otherwise. 
Slander is a character issue. You know why the enemy's a slanderer? Because he wants to slander who God is and who you are. He wants to get you to, convince, get you to be convinced that God isn't who he said he is and you're not who God said you are. High people in this room, listen, would be honest enough, or Lawrenceburg, you'd be honest enough to say that there's been a season in your life that you really doubted that you had any value or you really doubted that God really loved you. Come on, if that's you, just wave a hand at me real quick. You doubted God loved you or you doubted really you had value. Do you know where that comes from? That comes from the enemy who's a slanderer. Because either you believe that, that God loves you or you believe what the enemy says, that you can't be loved. And that's a deception or that's a slander issue because God makes himself known. God so loved the world. God loves you. And you can either believe God loves you because he said he loves you or you can believe the enemy who said God doesn't love you. But I want you to know something. You can fight those battles and stand firm if you'll put on. Come on, by shout, put on. Put on the armor. And temptation is an action issue. Ultimately, again, the enemy works through whispers. He wants to whisper a decision into your heart to tempt you to go the wrong direction. And that's always how he does. In fact, all the way back in Genesis, we talked about last week, the way the enemy worked with our foreparents, Adam and Eve, the very first people on planet Earth, was he put in these four strategies, lies, deception, slander, and temptation. I want you to see it real quick. Check this out. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. You remember the story? God told Adam and Eve, hey, you can eat of any tree. Like, it's all yours. God was generous. God was crazy good to Adam and Eve, made a perfect paradise, made all these trees and said, you can eat of any of them. Just don't eat of this one tree. Put boundaries and said, just don't do that. And in enters Satan, the slippery serpent, into paradise and ultimately gets our foreparents, Adam and Eve, to commit cosmic treason, to fall to sin. And how does he do it? The same strategies he uses with us. Check this out. Genesis chapter 1, listen to what the enemy says. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, he says this to Eve, challenging what God said. Hey, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Well, she knew that's what God had said. But what the enemy was doing was trying to get her deceived, to get her to doubt what God said. Why? Did God say that? Like, have you ever wondered, like, you feel like you know the truth, but sometimes we maneuver our way into an area we probably shouldn't because we start to doubt? And then he says this. He says, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman, because God said, hey, if you eat it, you will surely die. You know what Satan says? He says the complete opposite. If you eat it, you will absolutely not die. That's a lie. And then he says this. God knows your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it. That's slander because... One of the ways the enemy gets us to get outside of God's will for our life is to somehow convince us that God's holding back something from us. And so he says, hey, man, God's just holding back from you, man. Go ahead and eat it. He's, just got, he's, he's holding back something good. That's slander. And then the last part, he says, you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. That's temptation. And so, again, man, the enemy works the same way in all of us in every single situation. And so how do we deal with it? He says this. Watch this. Verse 13. He says, therefore, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Come on. This is a great promise. 
Come on, has anybody in this place ever been in a situation where things were so bad you weren't sure you were going to make it out? You weren't sure how you were going to get to the other side? Like your marriage was in the place, you're like, this thing's over, I'm never going to be okay. Have you ever been in a situation where you made a mistake and you thought everybody was going to cancel you in culture and in family? Come on, has anybody ever been in a place you weren't sure how to get to the other side? The apostle Paul says, listen, if you will dress yourself for success, if you'll wrap yourself in armor, you can go through a battle and still be standing on the other side. Let's go. Imagine the hope you could have if you walked out of this building and said, no matter what fight I get in this week, I'm going to still be standing. I don't have to wonder where I'm going to be at. If I'll dress for success, I'll still be standing. Now think about this. So one of the differences between the North and the South, many of you guys know I came from the great state of Ohio. Akron, Ohio, moved to Alabama now almost 10 years ago. And while there are a lot of things I love about the South, one of the things I love, obviously, getting the pastor of this great church, but come on, I got something to say about the goodness of sunshine. Woo, glory to God. He moved me to the sunshine state. I know that's Florida, but that's Alabama too. Come on, is anybody thankful for some sunshine of the South? Woo. Listen, see, y'all don't appreciate it. Y'all grew up spoiled. In Ohio, we got this stuff called snow. I know we got a little bit of it last night. But man, any, any given time between Ohio and Alabama, from Akron to Florence, there's about a 15 to 20 degree difference. And the difference in the degrees is the difference in the dress. See, when I moved south, I, I was able to throw out all my winter coats. This is it, baby. This is as thick as it gets right here. Gloves. I threw out my Bernie gloves. Scarf, like I was able to throw that all away. Why? I'm in a different situation and season of life, so I dress appropriately for the season that I'm in. There's something to be said. Come on. I know, I know about you guys, but right when, when the weather person, when the meteorologist like, tells us what the weather's going to be, which I'm not trying to throw shade at meteorologists, but is there really a science behind it? I know there is. <laughs> if you're a meteorologist, I, I don't understand your training. I know you've been trained. I know there is a science, but let's just be honest. Tomorrow's going to be cold with the chance of rain. Am I right? I mean, it feels, come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. But here's what's crazy is when the weather is predicted and it's predicted as bad, predicted as cold, by the way, next Sunday, it's supposed to get as low as 14 degrees. Oh, we're about to find out who loves Jesus up in this place. <laughs> like, Jesus, I love you at 30. Like you better at 40. 20, eh. Oh, come on. Everybody's going to be at church next Sunday. <laughs> but come on, when, when, the, when the meteorologist predicts bad weather, come on, you don't go fight the meteorologist. You dress for the weather. You don't go down to the local news station and meet that dude by the bike rack at 3.30. Come on, you told me it's going to be 40. No, he's just telling you what the weather's going to be. Listen to me. Again, the issue is not your spouse. It's not your kids. It's not your finances. It's not the government. What you need to do is fight the enemy who's fighting you. What you don't fight, you can't win. You need to dress for success. Come on. We got a cold weather season coming in the season of life we're in as Christ followers. And if you don't put on the Lord Jesus, you won't have the acceptance needed from the apparel of the righteousness of Jesus. And once you become a Christ follower, you got to understand that you're in a fight 24-7 with a real enemy, and the fight is not all these other things. It is our struggle is with Satan, and you got to dress for the battle. Put on the armor of Jesus. Come on, somebody. You got to put on the armor. And so I want to talk for just a few minutes about this armor. 
If you've been in church for a little while, you probably have heard messages on this. And I'm not going to talk about how each piece means all of these long things. I'm going to give you a pretty simple illustration and definition of what they mean. He says this. Here's the armor. You ready? Are you ready? Here's the armor. He says, stand your ground. Third time, stand your ground. Everybody say that. Stand your ground. Is anybody tired of losing ground, tired of falling back, tired of backsliding, tired of losing your place? Come on. Is anybody tired of losing ground in your faith? Let's go. He says, this is how you're going to stand your ground. Stand your ground putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arts, darts of the devil and put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He gives six pieces of clothes that are in vogue for the Christ follower. He says, if you want victory, you have to be in vogue. You got to be dressed for success. And he gives these six pieces. Now, when you start talking about the armor of God, it sounds, eh. If you've been in church for a while, right? If you've been in church for any amount of time, you probably have heard people talk about the armor of God, and it feels sometimes very childish because a lot of the, the lessons done on the armor of God is done in like Sunday school. Maybe you were a Sunday school teacher and you did an illustration, or you were a little kid in vacation Bible school and somebody did an illustration. Anybody see those before? And like the teacher trying to illustrate will go get the plastic, little plastic thing, and like it's, you know, it's way too small, like fat man, and fat guy in a little coat. And like it doesn't really fit. And he's got a goofy little plastic sword and a little plastic shield. And so sometimes when we start talking about the armor of God, it feels very immature. Or the other side, you start talking about the armor of God. Sounds, oh, I don't know. I mean, like I'm ready to go to church. I don't know if I'm ready for all that, all that armor business. So like on, when you start about talking about the armor of God, it feels very immature or it feels very spiritually mature. One size fits all. One size fits all is a lie from the pit of hell. There's no one size. There's like one size fits 20%. That's actually what it should say. One size fits 20%. Because anybody who's ever tried on a one size fits all, it will hurt your feelings. Because you'll be convinced everybody can fit in that. And I can't fit in that. Come on. Some of you are too short. Some of you are too tall for one size fits all. Come on, I'm just here to speak to you. Some of you got too much junk in the trunk for one size fits all. Oh, come on, somebody. I ain't talking about you. I'm talking about the person next to you. Let's go. <laughs> one size fits all. We do something here every summer called God at the Box Office. For you that have been here, it's an amazing four-week series, and we bring in all these characters, purchase these incredible costumes, and we've done Avengers, we've done Disney, done everything in between. And every time we get one of these outfits, you pull it out of the box, and on the tag is the lie from the devil, one size fits all. But we have to bring in like 10 different people to try it on because it doesn't fit all. Come on. It only fits some. What I want you to know today is that the armor of God truly is the only garment that one size fits all. God's armor is for good for kids. It's good for teenagers. It's good for young adults. It's good for adults. It's good for the elderly. It's good for men. It's good for women. Good for white people, black people, Asian people, Hispanic people. It's good for everybody in between. It covers every person in any stage of your journey. It's not for the immature or the mature. The armor of God is truly, come on, say it, one size fits all. Put it on. It'll fit you. 
And so he tells us what these six pieces are. Again, I want you to understand the battle. If you don't understand the battle, you won't understand how the armor helps. What is the battle? The battle is we have a real spiritual enemy, and he's fighting us with error. He's trying to get you to doubt truth. And so Paul comes along, and he says, hey, you got to wrap yourself. you got to cover yourself. You have to think differently. You have to think intentionally in your day-to-day in order to overcome the strategy of the enemy. What are his strategies? His strategies are to lie, to deceive, to slander, and to tempt. And then he tells us the answer, that your success is dependent on suiting up. If you want to have success in your journey, success in your battle, success in your fight, you got to suit up in the armor. Here's the armor. Here's the six pieces, the belt of truth. Come on, everybody knows your belt's got to match your shoes. Let's go. The belt of truth. What is the belt of truth? Simply the belt of truth protects what God has said because the opposite of truth is lies. The enemy comes at lies. Paul is saying the enemy's going to come at you at lies. you got to stand in truth. What is the truth of what God has said? The truth of what God has said. The truth of what God has said. The second thing is the shield of faith. Come on, everybody do this. Just do this. Don't do it outside church. Your friends will think you're weird. <laughs> but he's saying, man, when the enemy starts, come on, working with whispers and shooting fiery darts of deception your way, he said, man, I want you to hold up the shield of truth or the shield of faith. Faith is opposite of doubt. The enemy wants to sow Deceit. Deceit leads to doubt. And Paul says the way you combat the doubt of the enemy is to hold up faith, to protect, to protect, to protect truth. The belt of truth, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness. Come on, man, this makes me want to stand on a carton or something. (laughs) The breastplate of righteousness. Oh, come on, man, don't act like you don't want to do this. The breastplate of righteousness. You know what the breastplate of righteousness? The breastplate protects what God has already done for you. Again, I was unrighteous. I was a sinner. We were all sinners. We all fell short. We all were covered in rags of rebellion. We were all covered in garments that were stained with sin. But is anybody thankful that Jesus came and covered us and clothed us with his righteousness? That's what the breastplate is. Come on, it covers what God has already done. I'm saved. I will be saved forever saved, not because of what I have done, but the finished work of my Savior, Jesus. I'm righteous. Let's go. And the enemy will come and tell you you're not. And the way you fight, the way you fight slander, come on, because the enemy's going to say, you ain't saved. If you were saved, you wouldn't acted like that. Has anybody ever done something that you said you wouldn't do again? And if God, you forgive me this time, I won't do it again. You still did it again, again? Let me say that again. Has anybody ever done something you said you wouldn't do, but you did it again, and then God forgave you and did it again, again? Wave me if you ever did that. Come on, Lawrenceburg, you ever do that? And then the enemy starts saying, oh, come on, man. God, God's got a... God's an umpire. He's got like a three-strike rule. Three, like, you're out. Now, I'm not condoning us living an intentionally rebellious lifestyle. I'm saying we still struggle with sin. And in that struggle, the enemy will come and try to slander who you are in Christ and will try to slander the character of God to say you're not forgiven. And when that comes, come on, you got to get it on. The breastplate of righteousness protects what God has done. Fourth piece, fourth piece, the helmet of salvation. Did you know salvation, while our righteousness is finished, we are righteous in the eyes of God now and forever because of what Jesus has done. But did everybody in this room, y'all knew this, right? Y'all knew our salvation is a work in progress. While I'm saved on the inside, I'm still working on the outside. 
While my position with Christ is fixed, my practice of Christ, I still struggle. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like I'm saying like right now, God loves me the same way he loves his son Jesus, but practically I'm not where Jesus was. And so we're all in a journey. God's word talks about us maturing. It talks about us growing up in the faith. And so because we're in this journey, what the helmet of salvation does is it protects us from what, or protects us what God is, again, doing. What does the enemy want to do? The enemy wants, leads by temptation. He works through whispers. And the way we fight temptation is the helmet of salvation. Like, devil, I'm not going your direction. I'm going the direction that God has for me. And he talks about number five, come on, the shoes of peace. He's saying no matter what struggle you go through, whether you walk through hell on earth, whether you're in a broken home, whether you're struggling with your grades, whether your finances are upside down, whether you're in a fight with some character, personal characteristics, he says in it all, you can walk in peace. Come on, does anybody want some peace in this world? Let's go. He says you got to put on the armor of God. So the way the enemy is working through whispers, through lies, deceit, slander, and temptation. God says the way you fight error is with truth, and you got to put on the whole armor of God. you got to put on the belt of truth. you got to put on the breastplate of righteousness. you got to hold up the shield of faith. you got to put on the helmet of salvation, and you got to wear the boots of peace. And the last piece he gives, are y'all ready? Come on. He tells us about the sword of the Spirit. Like, we've never used a sword before. Like some of you back in the day, come on, some kids used to break some sticks off a tree and thought you had a sword fight. This is what Paul's thinking of, a Roman centurion that holds a Roman sword. He's saying, listen, if you're going to fight this fight, it's not just enough to be on the defense. You have to be on the offense. Listen to this. All six pieces of Vogue clothing that God tells you and me to put on. Five of the six is defensive. Breastplate, shield, helmet, shoes, and belt. They're all defensive. One piece is offensive. Remember he said three times, stand your ground, stand your ground, stand your ground. So five of the six is for holding ground. The sword of the spirit is for taking ground. See, what he's saying is, Listen, you got to be tired of being pushed around and pushed back and losing ground to where you've come. I've come too far in my faith for the enemy to fight me and cause me to lose ground. I'm not going back to old friends, old habits, old thoughts, old lifestyles. I'm going to stand my ground in Christ. But how many people here know that God's not finished with you yet? There's still stuff he wants you to know, still stuff he wants you to do, still things he wants you to move forward in. Come on, we're growing in our faith. When you first showed up at church and the music started, you were like this. These people are crazy. And then you kept coming, and you're like, okay, I like that song. And then all of a sudden, like week, like month number three, you're like, okay, you've got a little clap on. Six months in, you're like this, you got the chicken hand raised, you ain't going all the way because only crazy people go all the way. And all of a sudden, man, that one song hit, and you're like, oh. <laughs> Come on, what's happening? You're growing in your faith. You're growing in worship. You're growing in a revelation of who God is. Listen to me, you didn't get better at worship. You found out who, how good God really was, and you was ready to break out. So what I'm trying to tell you is while you're in a journey and you're at a place that the enemy wants to take from you, but God says, no, hold your ground. God says, don't just hold your ground, gain ground. Armor is for holding ground. The sword, God's word. Is for gaining ground. The more you get in God's word, the more you'll gain ground. 
What I'm trying to tell you is we're all in a fight. Just because you're a Christian don't mean you won't have a battle. In fact, if you're a Christian, you're going to have more battles. You're going to have more fights. You're going to face more temptations. You're going to face more slander. You're going to feel more temptation and slander and deception because the enemy's working overtime to cause you to lose ground. But stand your ground. Clothe yourselves in the armor of God. Stand, therefore, having done all to stand, stand. And take the sword of the Spirit. What I'm telling you is that God has made provision for your protection. He's given you everything you need to not just fight but to win and when the battle's over to still be standing your ground. The enemy can't stop you. The enemy can stop you if he can strip you. The enemy can stop you if he can strip you. If he can cause you to, to not intentionally put it on, to not wrap yourself in the truth, to cover yourself in the word, you'll lose ground. And some people in this room, because I have been here in my journey, would be honest enough to say that you're tired of losing ground to the enemy. You're tired of losing ground. How many people in this room want to gain some ground? You want to move forward in God's purpose and plan and destiny for your life. Come on, that's you, Lawrenceburg. I want you to lift a hand real high. I'm tired of losing ground. I'm ready to gain ground. I'm tired of losing ground. I'm ready to gain ground. So, Father, I thank you for the truth. I pray, God, every person watching this, every person in Lawrenceburg and Florence, I pray we would walk away with not just an illustration but an application of a soldier dressed for battle, that every day we're going to put it on. We're going to put intentionally truth in our lives and to walk out and to believe and to put our hope in what you have said and who you are rather than listening to the lies, the deception, the slander, and the temptation of the enemy. And I pray over every one of you that in the fight that's coming your way, when the battle's over, you'll have stood your ground. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed said amen.